Lord, help us to see you teach our souls to love your truth. Amen. So uh, Peter held up the yellow welcome card. Let me tell you one more use to which you could put that over the next couple of weeks. On uh, the 17th of October in the afternoon, we'll be doing a Q&A related to Revelation. We're wrapping up the first half of our Revelation sermon series. We'll pick it up again in the spring. So um, to give me a little time to get ready for that evening, if you have questions, you can write them down on the yellow card and stick them in the box in the back, and you can put a note saying which pastor you'd like to answer, which, no, I'm kidding about that. Write all the hard stuff for David Fisk, please. Um, right, Luke? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's right. Yeah, David, David asked for that. Um, so uh, on the 17th, we will do some Q&A. And uh, any questions you have, write those down, and we will uh, take a shot at them. Big questions come up in Revelation chapter 5. Heavy questions. Questions like this. Is life spinning out of control? Your life individually? Our life collectively? As people who belong to Jesus? Is it spinning out of control? With no possibility of a good outcome? Or a just outcome? Or, or an outcome that involves joy? Or maybe worse... Is there someone controlling it so that it's not spinning out of control, but the one controlling it is evil? <laughs> the one controlling it isn't just. The one controlling it isn't concerned for your joy or your good or our joy together. Those are the kinds of questions raised in Revelation chapter 5. And this chapter deals with those questions by providing detailed descriptions of symbols that represent realities. And so as we start into this chapter, we, we're still seeing, as David preached last week, we're seeing the throne room of God, this heavenly worship of the one who sits on the throne. And in God's right hand is a scroll. And the scroll has writing on the front and on the back as contracts and wills did in Roman culture. And, and this scroll would have, been, would have been a familiar symbol from those who knew the Old Testament because they're Isaiah chapter 29, Ezekiel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7 and 12 feature this image of a scroll that has God's purposes for history written on it. What's written on the scroll? Can, can we know whether history is spinning out of control or is it heading to a conclusion that's good, that's just, that's full of joy for God's people? Well, you and I may never know because one of the symbols used in this vision is that of seals on the scroll. The scroll has these wax seals placed over it, seven of them. The number seven represents completeness in the book of Revelation. So this scroll is completely unknowable. We can't know the answer to that question about chaos and purpose and goodness and joy in the universe and in history. And so there's an angel shouting out, 
Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? And John, the writer of Revelation, seeing this vision, burst into tears. He just begins to weep. He begins to weep because no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders worshiping at God's throne said, weep no more. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, two names for God's chosen king, Jesus. He has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And from that point forward, we get this incredible depiction of joyous celebration and worship of the one who is worthy. Caleb's going to come now and read for us the scripture. Uh, you'll have a part as well. We're going to read responsively. So be ready. This morning's scripture reading is a responsive reading from Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 14. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A stop sign is a set of symbols that represent realities. 
the reality represented is not, ooh, look at the pretty red octagon, right? The reality represented is not, hmm, octagons must be magic because when vehicles approach them, they slow down. The reality represented isn't even that combinations of curves and line represent sounds of human speech. Those aren't the realities being symbolized and represented by a stop sign. The reality is you need to take action now. Step on the brakes. Stop. It will bring good to you and to other people. If you stop now, it will bring harm to you and to other people. If you don't stop now, stop. Now, you don't have to know how all the symbols work to recognize that reality when you approach a stop sign. You've probably, maybe you've never even thought, oh, it is curves and lines that represent sounds from human speech. S-T-O-P, stop. Don't take time to think all that through the next time you come to a stop sign, right? <laughs> just, just put your foot on the brake. You may not understand all the symbols, but you get the big picture. Don't miss the big picture in Revelation chapter 5. It, well, here's how the book of Revelation works, right? We've said it before. We'll keep saying it. Revelation is filled with, it puts to use, these detailed descriptions of symbols that represent realities. And so as we're reading Revelation 5 and there's this scroll and it's sealed up seven times, we might, know, know, might not know what to do with that. Well, if, if, if we know the Old Testament prophets, we'd be more familiar with that image. If we knew that Roman documents were sealed with seven seals, it would make more sense to us culturally. Uh, we may not know exactly what to do with uh, all of these creatures in the sea, having something to say in verse 13. What, what does that mean? But even if we don't know what to do with every part of these symbols, don't miss the big picture. Take action now. Worship Jesus now. There is great good for you and for others. If you will worship Jesus now, there is great harm that would happen in this world if you sing a song to anyone else saying that it and they are supremely worthy. That's what Revelation chapter 5 says. The first reality it represents is that Jesus is worthy to rule all of human destiny. Again, this, this concept, this symbol of a, of a scroll with God's purposes for the world and for all of humanity written on it would be a very familiar idea to those who knew the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. But there's another reality here as well. Jesus is worthy to receive the worship of every heart, including yours. Don't miss that reality. Don't get so lost in all the symbols, the curves and the lines and the red octagons of Revelation chapter 5 that you miss that. Jesus is worthy to receive the worship of every heart, including yours. Now, notice there's a play on words there. 
the word worthy and the word worship in English come from the same root, worth. Worthship is the action of declaring someone else, recognizing that they deserve to be praised, that, that they deserve for other people to come before them and say, you have supreme worth. That's what worship is. Now, some of us may have come to worship services so long that we've forgotten that. <laughs> worship is uh, it's that thing I do on Sundays before I go do the stuff I like to do on Sundays. Worship is that thing I have to do to keep mom and dad off my back, maybe. Worship is that habit I've gotten into. Worship is that thing I get paid to do. Worship is when people who have come to know Jesus gather together to do one thing. It's to recalibrate our hearts so that we stand before Jesus and say, Yes, you are the one who deserves to be praised and recognized as having supreme worth. So let's explore that this morning with, with two questions that will sharpen what it means that Jesus is worthy of receiving the worship of every heart. First question is, why is he worthy? And the next question is, what happens to the heart that worships? What happens to the heart that sings the song that says the Lamb is worthy? Let's start with this first question then. Why is he worthy? Oh, because he's educated. He comes from money. He's white. Or he's not white. He's got the right kind of political power. And by that, I mean the kind I prefer. That's why we sing the song to him that he's worthy, right? No, it's not. <laughs> this might be the songs that we're tempted to sing. But listen to what the text says. Verse 9, they sang a new song. In Scripture, a new song is always a song of victory. After God has done something powerful to deliver his people, they sing a new song. Here's the new song about what God has done. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. There's the answer to our question. Life is not going to spin out of control. There is someone who has accomplished the victory that will lead all of human destiny to a place that is good and just and joyful. And there is good for us if we will honor that one who is worthy. There is harm for us if we will honor anyone else or anything else as supremely worthy. Why is he worthy? For you were I mean, English is my first language, so I see the letters on the page. S-L-A-I-N. You were slain. Sometimes our Bible translations are polite. 
and they take a bit of force away. The intention is good, and sometimes it's shaped by tradition. So I suspect here the King James says slain, and nearly every um, song and Bible translation since in English has used that same word, slain. The Greek word slaughtered. The Greek word is, it conjures an image of a lamb that's had its throat slit. Worthy are you, Lamb of God, because you are slaughtered. And that same language is used four other times in this one chapter. Worthy is this Lamb who subjected himself to slaughter. Well, there's a symbol here. Jesus isn't literally a lamb. But literally, he is the one who fulfilled everything that the Old Testament sacrificial system represented. Beginning in Egypt, in the days of the Exodus, when God's people were enslaved by Pharaoh, and God said, Sacrifice a lamb. Don't politely slay it so that nobody can see the wound. Slaughter it. You are preparing it to be eaten. Slaughter the lamb and take its blood and paint it over the door frames of your houses so that when I come in judgment on those who are oppressing and enslaving you, who refuse to release you from bondage, you will be redeemed. You will not only not be slain, you will be freed from slavery. Jesus is the lamb who was slain. He is worthy because by his blood... A symbol for sacrificial death in the scriptures. Right? Jesus didn't save us by virtue of having red stuff running through his veins. If the blood of Jesus could have saved us, blood in the sense of red stuff flowing through your veins, he would not have had to be crucified. Blood is a symbol here for sacrificial death on behalf of others that redeems them and frees them. Jesus, you are worthy because you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. What you did for the Israelites back in Egypt, you have now done at the cross, not just for one ethnicity, one culture, one group, but for people from all over the world. Sometimes Christians think, oh, we should have this sort of vibrant vision for, for um, loving people of all cultures because that's our mission, to share good news about Jesus with other people. Absolutely, that's, that's 100% true. And you would find that taught in many texts of Scripture. But what this text is saying is just to love other Christians, we've got to get really good at crossing cultural boundaries and barriers. We've got to get multi-ethnic and multilinguistic just to be the church. 
Because Jesus redeemed for himself people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And and that becomes the way we live as a family. And that makes it much easier to share that good news with others who aren't yet in the family from every tribe and language and people and nation. And Jesus is worthy because he did this, because he is the lamb who subjected himself to slaughter. to buy us back from slavery to death and to sin and from suffering. More on that as we move our way through Revelation and read about every tear being wiped away. Why is he worthy? Well, because he's the slaughtered lamb, but he's also the conquering lamb. Right back in verse 5, that elder said to John, don't weep because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. He's a powerful lamb. Symbols again in verse 6. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I looked and I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slaughtered with seven horns and seven eyes. Okay, this is where we know we're dealing with symbols, right? Real lambs don't have seven horns. Real lambs don't have seven eyes. What do these symbols represent? Well, a horn is a symbol of strength and power if you grow up in a culture around goats and bulls and oxen. If you grow up in a culture around rams that are fighting one another, their horns are the symbol of their strength and their power. He is completely powerful. And seven eyes. Wow, what do we do with that? Well, we should probably go back to the Old Testament and read Zechariah chapter 3 and chapter 4. And there we'll see this image of of seven eyes connected with the fact that God's spirit is, is seeing everything throughout the whole earth. And we see this symbol of seven, seven eyes, God's spirit, all-knowing, all-seeing, all and therefore able to see when things aren't right in this world and able to put them right. And in Zechariah 3, one of the things that isn't right is a priest being accused by Satan of being unworthy to fulfill his duties as a priest. And God steps in and says, I will clothe him with spotless garments. Satan, you have no accusation to bring against the one whom I have declared to be my priest. And verse 10 says that Jesus has made his people to be priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And if anyone accuses us and says we are not worthy, the way we respond is by saying, but the lamb is worthy. The lamb is worthy. He has redeemed us. Notice how he uses his power. The lamb is a conquering 
lamb who uses his power to defend those who are being falsely accused, who might be led to believe that they aren't worthy. The lamb uses his power to say it is not so because I have made you spotless. We're a kingdom of priests like that. If you look at Zechariah 4, there's an image there of a ruler who's called to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. His name is Zerubbabel. After the exile, after the Babylonians have destroyed it, a ruler, and God says, using some of the same imagery of seven eyes, he says, Zerubbabel, you will complete your mission to rebuild after destruction, but you will accomplish it not by might and not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So this lamb who has sacrificed himself to redeem us also has incredible power, but his power is the kind that depends not on human might, but on the Spirit of God. And his power is the kind of power that defends those who are being accused. That's why he's worthy. Because in his death and in his resurrection, he has made it possible for God's final purposes of blessing for people who need redemption and forgiveness, who would stand before God covered in filth, but would only be able to stand in his presence if we are spotless and blameless. Jesus has done everything necessary through his death and resurrection to make it possible for people from every tribe and language and people and nation to stand before God and sing this song and say, Worthy are you, Lamb of God. To be recognized as supreme. There is none other like you. If we were writing this song, we might sing it differently. And instead of singing a song that says, worthy is the lamb, we might sing, if we were moralists, worthy is the one who performs. Worthy is the one who gets it right. Worthy is the one who knows the rules and keeps them better than everyone else. And I don't need a worthy lamb because I will prove that I am worthy by being the best moral person I can be, the best religious person you've ever seen, the best Christian ever. You don't become the best Christian ever by singing, I am worthy. You become a Christian by singing, the lamb is worthy. The lamb is worthy. The lamb is worthy. If we were humanists, we would write the song this way, the cause is worthy. The cause is worthy. The cause is worthy. Ending poverty is the cause, and it's worthy. It's of supreme worth. It's worth investing everything you have in that cause. Ending racism is a worthy cause. The cause is worthy. And worthy people dedicate themselves to the worthy cause. And we're going to sing this song about the cause which is worthy. And what cause we favor is going to depend a lot on what century we live in. It's going to depend a lot on our culture. It's going to depend a lot on where we are in the food chain politically. The cause isn't worthy. 
The lamb is worthy. And if there are worthy causes in the world, it's only because they radiate out from the throne of the lamb. And as they radiate out from the throne, they have worth. We were created, after all, to be a kingdom and priests and to reign on the earth. We are meant to do things in this world that help to achieve the Lamb's goals. And they are goals that align not with human might and power, but with the Holy Spirit. And they are goals that align with defending the wrongly accused. Not wondering if we can ever work our way out from under a cloud of guilt and shame. The Lamb is worthy. We aren't the worthy ones like moralism would teach us to sing. The cause isn't the worthy thing like humanism would teach us to sing. The lamb is the worthy one. The gospel teaches us to sing that song. And what happens to a heart that sings that song? What happens to the heart that worships? Because you are human, you will worship. You may never be part of a worship service, but you will worship something. Your song will be, your your heart will be filled with a song singing the supreme worth of something or someone. What happens then? Well, C.S. Lewis, I'm married to Tricia, by the way. Did people know that? It's a 30-year thing. It'll be 30 years in December. And Tricia loves C.S. Lewis. So over the years, I've gotten to learn a lot about C.S. Lewis. Um, C.S. Lewis, in, in one of his lesser-known books, it's out of what's called the Space Trilogy. This is a book called Paralandra. And he has this to say about kind of human destiny, that, that we're all headed toward one of two destinies, And in the end, we're going to see a face. And that face is going to have a profound impact on us. And what you hope for is this process that he names. There is one face above all worlds. And it's so beautiful and so glorious that if you merely see that face, it would fill you with irrevocable joy, with joy that cannot be reversed, joy that can't be revoked. If you could see that face, he's talking about the face of God. And you're headed toward either that destiny, seeing that face, or another destiny, seeing another face. And he he talks about at the bottom of all worlds is another face. And if you get a glimpse of that face, it would fill you with so much misery that nothing could ever deliver you from it. And every human being is headed toward one of those two destinies choosing which which face will I choose to look on in the end and when I see it what will happen to my heart Lewis is describing what happens to the heart that worships if you sing a song about the supreme worth of someone who isn't deserving of that worth your heart gets more corrupt If you sing a song about the supreme worth of something that isn't truly worthy, it corrupts your heart. 
This is where you cue all biblical conversations about idolatry. It's what idolatry is. It's singing a song about the supreme worth of something that already in the back of your head you're going, I'm not sure you really are supremely worthy. I'm really not sure I can trust you with my destiny. I'm really not sure I can entrust my destiny and that of my family and my loved ones to you. But I haven't found a better God, so I'm going to sing this song about your supreme worth, even while I'm filled with those doubts. My mom and dad are involved with a, um, a ministry uh, that uh, serves those who are recovering from drug and alcohol addiction. And um, the, to, to honor their service to this ministry over years, uh, a facility has been named after them, a dormitory. And, and so now in these large letters across this dorm building, it's, you know, the Agen Dormitory at Faith Home, Buddy and Jeannie Agen Dormitory. And my dad thinks that's a really bad idea. He's like, you don't know what kind of crazy stuff I might do over the remaining years of my life that might make you absolutely shame to have my name in big letters across your building. <laughs> well, he's talking about this this dynamic, right, of am I sure I want to say this thing, this person is supremely worthy? Because what if they let me down? What if I do go to all the best schools and I'm still miserable? <laughs> what if making an idol and, and saying that success academically, success professionally, is of supreme worth. Can I really trust that? What if I make sexuality the subject of my song and say supreme worth is found in exploration, experimentation, or, or even inside a monogamous relationship but I just decide to elevate this thing and find all my worth and identity in this part of humanity. Significant part, but only a part. It's going to let you down. If these things radiate out from the throne of the Lamb, they can be good blessings. But if we make them the subject of our song and we say, this is supremely worthy, it will always lead to our harm and the harm of others. But if you sing a song about the supreme worth of Jesus, your heart will get stronger because here is somebody who actually deserves to be worshipped. Here is somebody of whom it is 100% appropriate to sing the song that says, the Lamb is worthy. He is never going to let you down. He is never going to disappoint you. He may challenge you. He may lead you through hard seasons of life. He may weep alongside you as he is a, both lamb and shepherd walking alongside you in dark, deep valleys. But he will never cease to be supremely worthy 
to be the subject of that song of your heart and listen, listen to the language used here. Every creature in the universe singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, blessing and honor and glory and might, not just for a little while, but forever and ever. Every creature, the Lamb is worthy to be worshiped by every creature. There is nobody else like that. And then verse 11 makes us do some math, right? I looked and I heard around the throne of the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels. Can we just stop there for those of us who are math averse? Many? Numbering myriads of myriads. A myriad is 10,000. So 10,000 times 10,000, that's 100 million for those of you keeping score. And then let's add thousands of thousands. Let's add millions more. In the book of Revelation... Angels are constantly saying, don't worship me. I'm not worthy of it. And here are hundreds of millions of angels and every creature in the universe falling over themselves to say, Jesus, you are of supreme worth. And when we sing that song, it makes our hearts stronger. Remember the first people reading the book of Revelation were those who were being rejected, those who were being persecuted, those who were being ridiculed because of their worship of Jesus. And here's the book saying to us, strength to endure that season of rejection comes from celebrating the supreme worth of the Lamb. It doesn't come from lashing out against your Roman oppressors. It doesn't come from mobilizing politically to take down the emperor. It doesn't come from compromising your faith and, 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 and saying around one group of people, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good Roman polytheist worshiping Jupiter and the rest. And among Christians, I'm, I'm worshiping Jesus. It doesn't come from living that split personality. It doesn't come from wealth. It comes from worshiping the Lamb. Strength comes to your heart when you are weak by celebrating the supreme worth of the Lamb. That's why we do this every seven days, y'all. <laughs> Our hearts don't get any stronger. They don't get so strong that we can keep this forever. You know, once a year is good, right? Once every five years, I'll tank up on my supreme worth of Jesus. No, every seven days. Weak hearts become stronger when we celebrate the supreme worth of the one who's rejected. In 1961, the Nobel Prize in Literature was being awarded. One candidate, a writer, was rejected. And uh, the notes that tell us why that writer was rejected say that, well, this author's writing, quote, has not in any way measured up to storytelling of the highest quality. Whoa, okay. Tell us what you really think. 
Well, this writer had a friend who campaigned shamelessly who said things like, this writing is so different that we aren't able to judge its quality. It is so far beyond our ability to fathom and imagine that who are we to stand in judgment over it? In fact, this writing is so powerful that when you read it, it changes you. Now, those in literary societies thought it was very inappropriate for this friend to campaign and lobby like that on behalf of J.R.R. Tolkien. The friend was C.S. Lewis. Jesus is like that. He's the rejected one. He deserves to be celebrated. It's not always easy to see that in our world. It's not easy for everyone to appreciate why the lamb is worthy. But for those of us who have tasted it, we say, once you begin to sing that song about the lamb, it changes you. And you begin to recognize that you have no business trying to judge the lamb. <laughs> he's, he's the standard by which all things are judged. He is the one of supreme worth. Tolkien sang the song of the lamb. Lewis sang the song of the lamb. The lamb is worthy. Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of the worship of your heart. Not just worship services, yes, those, but he's worthy of your heart becoming one that constantly sings, Jesus deserves to be recognized as supremely valuable and worthy in my life and in my world and in every way. And I will shamelessly campaign for as long as it takes for people from every tribe and language and nation to know how to sing this song. Are you singing that song? Are you singing that song about the wrong person or the wrong thing? He is gracious. He invites you to begin singing this song today for the first time. If you've been singing this song already, he invites you to come again. Sing louder. Let your weak heart be strengthened by singing about the Lamb who is worthy.